0: Hey friends, this is your host, Cesar Romero, and you're listening to Beyond the Job Title podcast, the show that explores the human experiences that shape our professional and personal lives. My guest for this episode is Dev Sim. Dev and I met while in Costa Rica when I was working for a travel startup called Under 30 Experiences, and we've been friends ever since, and I think his his story is very interesting. In, In this episode, we're gonna dive deeper into His journey working at Metro North for 10 years, and what has led him to be there for 10 years, right? Which in this day and age it's it's unheard of. We're also gonna be diving into Dev's Cambodian heritage, what it means to be an immigrant child and taking care of your parents. We're also going to be hearing about Dev's parents' journey into the U.S. and what has stuck with him the most from that journey. Also, what inspired Dev to kickstart his bodybuilding journey, and much, much more. Again, thanks so much for joining, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. The first question, Dev, is, so you've been working at the Metro, transportation. Yeah, I've been at at Metro for 10 years now. 10 years? over 10 years. That's unheard of these days, especially for a generation. So how did you get there, right? And what's kept you there
1: for so long? Odd enough, I went to school to become an educator. I have a master's in teaching, which I'm not being the good use. I think our age group, we all kind of came out of college right after that big housing collapse. Yeah. 2008. And so, yeah, So I got out of school, out of grad school 2011 and the market was still topsy-turvy teaching in a weird spot because a lot of schools had to make budget cuts and they fired a lot of teachers, but they did tell the teachers that they fired that they would hire them back. When they do open hiring legally, they have to open hiring to everybody. So the issue was that they knew who they were going to hire, but it had to go through the motion of the interview process in a way. And so, I did a lot of interviews, full well knowing that someone else was going to get the job because they had someone that they let go that they had to bring back. Yeah, and I kind of got tired of interviewing for teaching, and then I started to put feelings out to different careers. I would come home every day from my grocery store job and apply to like anywhere from like eight to 15 jobs a day. And it's so relevant to these days because I feel like a lot of people are in those same shoes right now. Yeah. And I want to tell those folks that it's a hundred percent upsetting, nerve wracking and stressful to interview and fill out the the things that need to be done. And so if you take your time out of your day to apply to two, three jobs a day, eventually someone is going to reach out to you. And that's where I was at. Two things kind of happened to me. One of my friends was leaving a job at Nabisco. He was doing sales. He went to, I believe he went to Kraft Foods and he more or less gave me a job at Nabisco. Before that, I did apply to Metro North, but I didn't know how long that was going to take. And I only applied because one of my friends told me to apply. I, I didn't know right. what the job it failed, what conducting would be. No, you know, from my understanding, it was a safe job and st- So, working in Nabisco, I get a call from Metro North, I show up, I I interview well, I get a job. I really didn't know what the pay was like. I kind of walked into it kind of blind and uh, come to find out in class, we were making a good chunk of change. And so, to your question of why I'm still there after 10 years, what's keeping me there is um, there is a pension. It's very rare that jobs nowadays have pensions. And so all I have to do is commit 30 years of my life to this company and I will be making 60% of my top wage for the rest of my life until, until God wants to take me. That's a pretty good deal. What's been uh, the
0: most unexpected thing that you have learned from
1: working there for 10 years? I think that people poo away government jobs or jobs that are blue collar in nature because um, I went to college as well, and, and so did my colleagues, and I think there's a great importance in going to school and becoming educated, but at the same time, there are a lot of careers out there. Some of them do, do require a college degree, some of them don't, and I am at a place where isn't necessary. It does help, but it's not necessary. And it's surprising that for me being there, that like I could work at a company or, or a workplace that. For the most part, day to day is low stress and have enough free time to myself and pays quite well. I think that's the most surprising thing. And I think a lot more people, if they just kind of, um, I think people have a very blinders mindset. Like they come out of school and then they have a career to have their mindset on. Like if you go to school and become a pharmacist, that's a whole different story. You're gonna become yeah. a pharmacist. Right? But if you're going to school and you have a, a very open-ended liberal arts degree, business degree, you can go, go anywhere. And I think sometimes it, it takes biting the bullet and just trying something out for a little bit. And I'm not saying that people who come work in Metro like absolutely want to stay. Some people end up leaving. I've had some colleagues leave. But I think 90% of the people that come decide that it's a well-paying job. They can take care of their families and they'll have the free time to do what they want to do.
0: I think that's the ultimate flex. No stress, decent pay, and you have time for yourself. And... There's a lot of people I know that they're in high stress jobs. Sure, the pay is good, but man, they don't have time for themselves. They don't have time for their families. They're burned out. And if they're honest with themselves, they're probably, if given the opportunity, they would probably just quit that job, even though it's high pay with that. So I think, uh, yeah, that's a good deal.
1: There are jo- like So I work a very like relaxed, conducted job. There are conducted jobs that work. I was looking at the book yesterday. There's a job that works 14 hours. But 14 hours away from home, is 14 hours away from home. And I think that job, I don't wanna go into, into high detail, but it's close to 200K. I tell people all the time, I was like, there, there is a cost benefit analysis to this, right? You you can make a ton of money, but you're not gonna see your wife. <laughs> and I work with a lot of guys who just, who've been cheated on and this and that, and like, I'm not, listen, I'm not one to sit here and make an argument that you don't see someone that you should go stray But I also, I also feel for those women. Like, I kind of get why they did what they did. They want their home home. I'm not blind to that. So there has to be a balance. You have to balance your life out. And there are consequences on balancing your life out.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, what does matter? What matters more to you? I think that's an important question. Now, you have a Cambodian heritage, right? And your parents migrated, right, from Cambodia to the United States. What do you remember the most? Or what's been the story that your parents have shared about their journey to the U.S. that has stuck with you the most?
1: I, I think a lot of Asian folks in this country is second gen or even third gen have a lot of stories that have been passed on to them. I know that the Cambodians, the Vietnamese, the Laotians, there are, we consider ourselves people who have survived a lot of conflict and a lot of people you look at other Asian groups that come to America, like the Chinese or Koreans or Japanese, they, for the most part, those folks came here under peaceful pro- pretext and they had change with them when they came. Yeah. For the Cambodians, the Vietnamese and the Laotians, we came here after a conflict kind of stemming from the Vietnam War, the internal conflicts in Laos, the internal conflicts in Cambodia. And a lot of folks came here with really just the clothes on their backs and Pretty much painless. So my, my parents, they came here in the early 80s. They lived the communist regime of the Khmer Rouge that lasted from 75 to 78. '78 And the Vietnamese invaded, which sounds like a bad thing, but it was actually a good thing that Vietnamese invaded. They, uh, they freed the Cambodians from communist rule, but that was just part of it. A lot of people had to, in order to flee, they had to go into Thailand to find the refuge. And the journey there was, was kind of crazy. My dad told me there was a very small path that you had to take from Cambodia to Thailand, maybe three feet wide. And wow. you had a time to run because there would be communists patrolling the area, there'd be landmines. And so you had a kind of like time when the communist troops would not be watching. And then you, when you ran, you had to watch each other's footsteps because you kind of had to put your feet where the other person put their feet and, it, and like, it's not like you just ran it with a clear field and you could just kind of see where landmines are. There are dead people laying around too that kind of, that stepped in the wrong spot. So you're trying to jump over bodies and touch and go and watch everyone else's feet. My, my mom, she made the journey with my grandfather because when the communists took over it kind of spread. They didn't allow the families to stay together. So families were broken up into different camps. My grandfather found my mother first and made a journey with her to Thailand. And one of the stories that sticks with me is that she was walking with my grandfather and they only had one pair of sandals. And the sandals were made from old tires, kind of like, like in old country. Like, and, and I know a lot of folks in South America do the same thing. They'll take old tires and cut sandals out of them. And they would were, they were split the shoes. Like they would like have, you know, she would wear them, then he would wear them, she would wear them, and he would wear them. But on that journey, she saw a punji pit and I don't know if everyone knows what a punji pit is, it's a trap. And so what you do, you dig hmm. a big hole, put bamboo down, turn them to spikes. And if you really want to get gnarly, you'll throw like feces on them. So if you fall in, you might not die initially, but you'll get an infection and die. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So my grandfather was walking in front of my mom and I think she spotted it before him. True. And she grabbed his shirt and pulled him back. And had she not done that, he would have fell into the pit. Wow. Yeah. So these are the journeys that my, my parents went through. And so I know that it took a little bit of paperwork time to to leave from Thailand to the States. They settled. It's funny when you settle in America and you're a refugee, they don't put you in a nice spot. So my dad was settled in somewhere in Rhode Island, I believe like around Providence, it was like a hood. And then a lot of refugees, my mom's family ended up in Revere, Massachusetts. And it's funny too, because growing up, I used to play with my cousins in Revere and you would see <laughs> immigrants show up, right? So I saw the Albanians come through. And then as we got older, we saw like Pakistanis and Afghanis come through. But it's, it's a, almost like a refugee dumping ground, right? It's like, if you can make it here, you'll figure it out. Yeah. But it's, it's weird to see like, because the Khmer community started to move away from there, where you see new communities sprout up. That's amazing. And it's wild to think that because of How things played
0: out and the courage that your parents had, you were able to have the opportunities that that you have now, right? It just puts everything into perspective. And so your
1: parents came here separately. How did they meet? So it's a funny story. So the one thing is that my dad wasn't single, technically. (laughs) So the communist regime, when you were, when they were running the country, they had a few they, had, they wanted young people to either enter the military or get married and have a family, I guess just to, to increase the population size. And so my dad was forced to marry a lady, I believe in his hometown. And they did it because they had to do it. He had a few kids, but I think when he was escaping, he tried to get her to come to the US with him, but she didn't want to go. And he, I guess he came, he went back and forth for a couple of times and she didn't want to leave. And he was like, listen, I'm, my, my life is not very safe in this country. And so he had to leave. And I believe he did the right thing and tried to get her to leave with him, but she wouldn't go. So when he came to, to America, he wanted to, uh, to get married. And so he asked a few friends if he knew any good families. And then so one of his buddies, like we actually know a family out of Massachusetts. <laughs> They're a nice family if you want, <laughs> which can we set up a, a meeting. And so is a funnier story is that my dad wasn't supposed to marry my mom. My grandparents had four daughters and two sons. And so they were going to pair my dad up with the oldest one, my aunt. And my aunt would not leave her room. She's like, no, this is absolutely crazy. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And so my grandparents were like, hey, all right, you Mallory, the next one, go out there. And so my my dad describes her as this little dark girl that came out of the room right. because my mom used to go, because Rivera is like pretty close to the beach and it is the ocean. But she used to go out the, to the beach and like pick up clams and crabs and just like bring them home to harvest and then everything else. And so she got really dark. And <laughs> so he was a little dark girl. And so she made lunch that day and he was like, that's the one. Yeah. That That's it. And so if you see my parents' wedding video, it's just this very disgruntled little lady and this very happy man. And <laughs> it was an arranged marriage, Drew, and thirty 38 years will be like, I think, June to July. But yeah, so I guess it worked out.
0: <laughs> and one last thing here, and then I want to switch into one of your passions and hobbies. And I know recently your dad went through health experience and... From what I understand, he's in a better place now, he's recovering. And I wanted to ask you if that shifted your perspective or or any insights that you got from helping your dad through that experience, right, of of going through that health experience.
1: Yeah. So my dad just came out of a double bypass. I, I think it's one of those things where like your parents get older. I think it's been ingrained in me that it's your duty to, to help your parents. So like it or not, or grudge it or what have you, some people might. For me, it's just duty, right? Even if I was like a whole more horrible person or even a better person, it wouldn't matter. It's just duty. I have to do it. I think better being an immigrant. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of the immigrant experience, right? Is that we're taught certain cultural values for better or for worse. And we kind of have to add, add, adhere to them. Yeah. Well, and my, the one thing, my dad, me and my dad got into a fight maybe a couple of years ago and he looked at me and without like, without raising his voice, he's like, I used to change your diapers. And I'm like, fuck. That's true. So I was like, like what are you going to say to that? I was like, That's a pretty good comeback. I um, got nothing.
0: <laughs> I got nothing.
1: I got nothing. And so it's my dad's pretty independent. It's weird to see him in such a vulnerable state. Yeah. But I don't mind taking care of him. I, I know that he appreciates it. And I think that people should do the right thing and take care of the parents. Yeah. I think for me, biggest thing that, that I got out of it is just that we we should do our best to take care of the people that, that we care about. Right? Yeah. And, which is nuts because in the States, the culture
0: is you send them to a, what do you call those? Retirement? Uh, yeah,
1: a home. A nursing home. Yeah, right? And
0: yeah. I don't, that never sat well with me.
1: I've seen it done in a positive fashion and I've seen it done in a negative fashion. So my right. mom... I used to work in a nursing home and when I was a kid, because it was close to like where we lived, I would always just be there with my mom because like I would get off the bus and she would come mm-hmm. real quick. And then I spent a few hours there while her shift ended. And when I was in high school, I worked in a nursing home for a year or two as well. doing dietary, making sure the folks got into food. And so i spent a lot of time in nursing homes with people that weren't my kin. And my mom, when she worked in a nursing home, she took really good care of people. And when I was there, I tried to do my best to cheer those folks up. And there was one woman, and this is the only person that I saw that was cared for in in the right way. Older Asian lady. She might have been Korean or Chinese, but uh, her family used to pick her up every weekend. So she would never be there on Sunday, but she would be there Monday through Friday. And all because they had to go to work, so they couldn't take care of her while they were at work. And so for me, it was like, sure, it's still five days in a nursing home, but she had something to, something to look forward to. She always went home on a weekend with her family. And and I think that was, if you're gonna do something in, in that way, I think that's the most positive way you could do it because at least she's home with her family and at least every week she has something to look forward to. She's yeah. not stuck on like, like a prisoner. Yeah. Um, I, I, you see people rot in there and like, I don't wanna be in a nursing home, God, God forbid. No, I've heard stories of people dying more of loneliness than anything else. I've watched people just in there, just older woman. She, I used, she used to be one of my, my patients. I used to like, when I was dietary, she was at one of my tables. So I, you'd have, I would have to uh, bring food to her and she would just cry and she just wouldn't eat. And I would sit down with her and try to get her to eat. And sometimes it works and a lot of times it didn't, but she just, she missed her husband and she had no one else. And it's sad. And the reason why I sat with her too, was because of like, this is, I felt bad for this woman. I didn't want this woman to sit there at a table by herself.
0: Yeah, a lot um, of people talk about how working at nursing homes is gives you a lot of perspective into things that to look ahead, but also things that you want to avoid in terms of regret. In terms of this is not how I want to spend the last
1: few years of my life, right? So, did you find that to be the case for you? I I think part of my planning financially and part of my fitness journey is to make sure that I'm capable and wealthy enough to take care of of myself and my family when I'm at that age, right? And I think that like it's twofold, that one, you should be able to take care of yourself and take care of your body so that nothing like that can happen. And I think that takes a little bit of foresight and planning And then I think two people around you should care about you enough to never want to see you like that. So I'm always going to put an onus on an individual. I think people could do better and take care of their bodies and drink less and exercise more and all the good things.
0: So at what point in your journey you realize, hey, working out, lifting weights, bodybuilding, this could be a thing. And the second part of that question is similar to when we started this interview about the longevity, right? What's kept you so disciplined with working out?
1: It's funny because I think a lot of people have very positive feelings on why they're doing what they're doing. I grew up uh, pretty obese as a kid um, yeah. and I was picked on and everything else. And I think I, I had a conversation with myself and and I was quite upset at how i looked and how people treated me and, I decided at an early age to, to start losing weight. And it wasn't like the best way of losing weight. I, I had an eating disorder for about a year. Yeah, I wasn't eating well. You know, what kicked it too was I was too skinny and then I started losing hair and I was like, all right, I got to figure out how to actually like do this right. Mm-hmm. And then, so my mom bought me a bench and everything else. And that's what kind of like- Hey, made how, me do you how
0: do you convince your mom to buy your bench?
1: So my mom knew I needed to lose weight. Uh-huh. She was also worried about my health. Yeah. And so she didn't know what to do. So she was like, hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you a bench and then maybe you can work out, maybe you lose weight. And she didn't know what she was doing either. That's amazing her, though. Yeah. Her fix is, hey, here's a bench and here's, some here's weight, a you weight. Know? <laughs> and I think I fell in love with it because it was like, I did overeat, but as I started to figure out my diet, I started to eat more, more normal, yeah. more of a normal diet. Mm-hmm. And then when I started to lift weights, I was like, okay, I'm getting stronger and I'm actually putting on muscle. Maybe I keep doing this and it can just kind of stuck, right? Like, I'm not going to say that body dysmorphia doesn't play into it and that I don't have it because I still do, but not to the extent where like, I never like move towards steroids. Right. It's, and it's not a thought that I didn't ha- have. It's not that I didn't weigh out the option. And I think there were a times where I like something that I really considered. I looked at all the, the pros and cons and there's a lot more cons than pros. So I never went there, but I I kind of s- stick to it just because I really do value aesthetically how I look and how I feel. So you use a negative
0: emotion as a driver to spark that change, right? Pe- people were calling you names, were pulling you, and you had a conversation with yourself where you were like, you know what? I don't want people to be mean to me. So you be, you use that as your drive.
1: And do you still have the bench? I think we threw it out a while ago, it's like, it's not, it was great. kind of rusty. I think I still have weights from that bench somewhere, yeah, but I'm, I don't have that bench, that exact bench actually. And, and for those in the audience, I guess,
0: just to them to have a picture, how would you describe yourself physically? Like, so they can picture how jacked you are and how much you manage. It's
1: so, <laughs> it's so fun. I'll, I'll throw numbers out there, but it's so funny because like for me, when I see other people in the gym who work like strong or like I, you go on Instagram, you see these pros lifting crazy weight and how big right. they are. Yeah, I'm nowhere near that, right? But I think I'm muscular for an average person, right? But like, I'm only like five, six in height right now. This morning I weighed myself, I'm only 183. But uh, my max bench is three thirty five. My max deadlift with straps is 550. And I just pulled it out a couple weeks ago. My squat, squatting freaks me out. I don't think I've ever gone past a 385 range. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I could do 405, but it just really freaks me out. I'm going to work my way up to it. Probably next year or the year after, I'll probably hit 405 easy. It's, it's weird because like when you lift weights, you're all at the same time. Think you're a great God and think you're a piece of shit at the same time. So <laughs> it's, it's always, it's always a balance. I love it. You, you keep yourself in check. It's kind of like, like David Goggins to me is like this crazy wild uh, yeah they yeah. this crazy wild uh, like running god but at the same time david goggins has had the real problem with himself the entire time and that's just i feel like i wouldn't compare myself with david goggins i'm no david goggins but i feel like i have a little bit of the same mentality where it's never enough i always want more yeah but as i age i like and i'm not saying like 37 is super old if it's not but there are things that i won't be able to do in a couple of years like i shouldn't right. be lifting heavy i'm gonna hurt myself i mm-hmm. should be like doing more calisthenics. And as I get older, the journey will change and I will do different things. And that's just part of it. And that's important, right? As you you get older,
0: your fitness journey evolves and changes, right? It's not the same. And I think that's important for people, right? To understand that your body is going to have a peak and then, you know, it's going to change as you get older. So uh, adapting your fitness routine, I think it's important. So for for someone that, that wants to, let's say, get started with their fitness journey, either lose weight or gain some muscle. What would be your recommendations in terms of core principles?
1: If you have a plan, you just kind of have to stick to it. And so I would say if someone is trying to lose weight, kind of figure out what you're weighing right now and then try to figure out what you wanna weigh at the end of your journey. And I think you have to set a goal. And if you don't set a goal, you'll never reach it. If you say, I just wanna lose weight, but then you don't really know what weight you wanna to, want to reach, then you're gonna flounder. So I would tell someone who wants to lose weight to just really think about the weight that they wanna be and then figure out how they're gonna approach that weight loss because there's the only way to lose weight is to be in a caloric deficit. And you can meet those two different ways. You can really clean up your diet, which 100% works. If you do too hard, you'll get really grumpy. And <laughs> it, it might not right, be that ends and skinny, ski. which is fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. Or you could do cardio and that will also help you lose weight. But then you can also do too much of that too and then get too skinny. Yeah. So it's kind of like find your weight and then try to match the, the calorie cutting with the cardio and slowly bring your weight down. I say someone who's trying to lose weight, they really shouldn't push more than two pounds a week. Anything over two pounds is kind of an excess, unless you're like very big, right? But a pound to do two pounds a week is a very like normal, easy thing to do. And I think weightlifting isn't like it used to be. I think it's a lot more mainstream. There's a lot of resources with YouTube and Instagram and everything else. And I think I would say if you find a fitness person that you admire, or aspire to be, I would just look at their page and see what they're doing. And then, if it helps you out or to look at their programs and maybe purchase a program and stick to it, because I think it's kind of hard for me to play coach as somebody who I've never met. And mm-hmm. they ask me, it's kind of hard. I, I can give them a few tips, but I'm not there with them in the gym. So it's kind of hard for me to help them out. Yeah. But I think if, you know, someone like Jeff Nippard, I watch him on YouTube, he seems to really know what he's doing. He's got pretty good programs. Someone like Dr. Mike Idritel has a lot of good programs and he's hilarious to watch too. So if you, he's just, he's a fun guy to watch and laugh, but very serious, very science-based and I think guys like that will kind of put you on a, on a good path of being real with you, but also teaching you how to gain muscle.
0: Yeah, no, that's so important. And I know what you said about, Hey, I don't, I don't have a question in front of me so I can give advice, but in terms of content and programs, there's a ton out there and I think. Right, that at the end of the day, the hardest part is going to be the consistency of sticking with a program, which let's be yeah. honest, that's where people yeah.
1: fail. 100%. <laughs> and that's the thing is, I know we all have busy lives and children take care of and jobs nice. and wives and hobbies and, and everything else. And I think it's just like, I, for me to compare myself to, to like you're a dad, it's a, lot, it's a lot more different. I don't have children yet. Right. So my time is a lot more, more open. Yeah, Um, exactly. But I I think. Yeah, 100%. But I think that squeezing in an hour and a half a day, maybe in the beginning or the tail end of your day, I don't think it is impossible for most people to do. I think if you wake up and everyone's still asleep and you can squeeze in a half mile, like a half hour of running, you should squeeze in a half hour of running. And then maybe when everyone's winding down at night and your kids are off to bed, your wife's ready to go to sleep, You sneak out and hit the gym for an hour and come back home. I I don't think anybody's going to miss you during that time too. (laughs) So I know the energy level is not always there, but an an hour of lifting is better than an hour of not lifting. And so I'm a crazy person and I spend like two hours a day in the gym, but not everyone has to do that. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, you basically,
0: you adapt your consistency and routine, based on your schedule, based on your priorities, right? Based on the time that you have. I think that's important. And what kills a lot of people is that they compare themselves, right, to TikTok or Instagram,
1: and that's yeah, that's not that good, right? Because yeah, have- no, it's super not good. So, like, one of the guys that I go to the gym with—I don't work out with him, but he's there. We're trying to, This guy Kyle, he has a pretty big TikTok following. I think he has like half a million followers on TikTok, maybe more, to be quite honest. And I see him at the gym, and it's crazy. People like all oh, these guys are just like built like that, and whatever else. I see Kyle, he comes in the morning at eight o'clock, he'll lift till like nine, 10, 11. He'll lift till like 11 and he'll do cardio from like 11 to like 12, Like that's, what yeah. is that, four hours, four and a half hours of yeah. just work? Like, Yeah, that's not a normal thing, but like if he's a TikTok influencer, that's yeah. not his job, he has to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh
0: man, awesome, Deb. So I know we're coming towards the end and I would love to do a, um, what I call rapid fire for the episode. Okay. I basically, Ask you a question and you just give me the top of my answer they come up with. Okay. So, one book that has greatly influenced your life. And I know this might be a tough one
1: because right? you're a big reader. So, I'm also one who thinks about my finances a lot, and thinks about how, how money works. So, The Ascent of Money is a his, history book about money. Oh, sorry. yeah. And the advent of money. And it's crazy too because it's a history book, but it also like, talks about how money has changed over time and how it's influenced so many different cultures and why we have fiat money and everything else. And it is a very good book. And since you're a history buff, what is the one history book
0: or one of the history books that, that you've read that you would recommend to anybody as a, hey, you have to read this book?
1: I think the one history book that I really do like is there's a three part series by, I believe, Edmund Morris on Theodore Roosevelt. The last book is kind of too much. If you're gonna read his full life, I would say it'd be all three books. But the first book, especially about Teddy Roosevelt, we're never gonna have a present like that ever again. What a monument of a man, very quirky, but it, it's, it's such a weird human being to have done so much in, in one lifetime. It's a three part series by Edmund Morris. I forget the title of all three books, but if you look it up, you'll see it. They're about 700, 800 pages a clip, each book. So it's, I would say, it's read dense, the book. yeah, I would say read it towards the winter when it's cold. There's nothing better to do. <laughs> so I would break it up. I wouldn't read all three series together, but I would say in the winter, start that book. Sweet, man.
0: Wow. Next question. One of the most worthwhile investments that you've made
1: recently. And like this could be a relationship, it could be financially, it could be something physical. To be honest, I think the biggest windfall financially and investment-wise I've made was when I purchased my condo right before the pandemic and then sold it and cashed out. I got lucky. That was something that like I couldn't have planned. It just kind of happened. And I would say for anybody, think about your options financially and just kind of if it's there, you just got to take it. You just can't, you can't leave money sitting on the table.
0: Yeah, no, that's that one a great timing too. All right, next question. A quote that you think of often or a motto that you live your life by?
1: There are, uh, there are uh, two quotes stand out to me always. And one quote is by the king of Cambodia and his quote goes, time will inevitably uncover dishonesty and lies History has no place for them. There, there's no hiding what we have done in the shadows. It will always come to light. But I think about that from a historical perspective too, how countries have kind of acted towards one another. And people say it's revisionist history, but it's not. I think some people, when, it all, when all the cards are on the table, you kind of see how countries have acted and reacted to each other in a mostly negative fashion, right? And so there, there is no, there's no hiding that. And then there is, I always misquote this quote, but it is a Latin quote and it's homo homini lupus. And I believe homini lupus means, and I could be misspeaking here, man is a wolf that eats man, that in, I think men, humanity in its most brutish form without governance or without anybody to monitor us will always fall back to being unkind. To one another and taking advantage of one another. And it's something that I remind people that, you know, at base level, hum- humans tend to take advantage of one another. I believe that,
0: right? Yeah. Like we're just humans. It's part of our DNA. And the only reason yeah. we're not in chaos, is because there are rules, policies, governments to keep us in check, despite how much hate the government and the regulations get.
1: And, and that thing, you, you could also hate the Leviathan, but the Leviathan exists for a reason. Exactly. Awesome.
0: In the last year, right? One belief, mindset, or
1: habits outside of working out that has improved your life? One habit. I've always been a good saver, but I think I'm not just passively saved, I'm Putting my money into investments and CDs and mm-hmm. high yield savings that will take my money that I'm already saving and have it bear more fruit, so I think that's one thing that I've gotten better at doing
0: that's a great thing to get better at <laughs> and last question for you, Deb, if you had in front of you the 18 year old Deb, what advice would you give him?
1: but it's often I think about that and it's it's almost hard too because you might change the trajectory of his being by giving them too much mm-hmm. advice, right? Yeah. But I think without shifting eighteen year old me too much into a direction that would change his whole personality or persona, I think I would clean up his workout routine. To be quite honest, I, I think I would uh, I would spend a good solid maybe a year teaching that 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 person how to lift, <laughs> and he would be a more jacked, less hurt human being.
0: I love that. And, or what if it wasn't that, what if it's just a kid, 18 year old kid that comes to you? Hey, What advice would you have for me in terms of the future, career, or life in general? Probably still lift weights.
1: (laughs) Still still lift weights. I I think a lot of the good habits I have now, I've I've always had. So it's kind of hard for me to think about that in in that aspect. I think I was at 18, very cocky. And I think... (laughs) I think I would tell myself to be less cocky. The world has a good way of of putting you back in your place. And I think when I came out of school and couldn't find a job, it put me right on my ass and and showed me that I had to be a lot less cocky. So maybe I would tell him to be a lot less cocky a lot earlier. So stay humble
0: and hungry, right? Yes. Deb, so thanks so much, Ben, for coming on the show. Share a little bit more about your journey in life and work and yeah, I know it's great catching up and yeah, man, I'm looking forward to maybe we do an episode where we dive deeper into what specific aspect of her life. But yeah, for now, <clears throat> thanks so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through I appreciate you so much and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.